What's up, everybody? This is Will Stevens, and you're listening to Solopreneur Stories, the podcast that examines the best insights other solopreneurs have already figured out so you can use them in your life. On this show, I speak with guests ranging from brand new consultants to seasoned solopreneurs and passive side giggers to hardcore hustlers. We'll discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies that they're taking advantage of so all of you listening can do the same. In this episode, I speak with Jeff Baker. Jeff is an SEO consultant who helps small businesses generate revenue from their SEO program. In addition to his SEO work, he's also co-founder of Beach Commute, where he helps job candidates find authentic remote employment. Jeff also runs a Mezcal review site and, like a true entrepreneur, is involved with a few other interesting ventures. Jeff is a great friend, and we covered topics including his digital nomad lifestyle and how he balances work commitments with travel, criticisms of the return to office movement and its effects on productivity, how Jeff manages a portfolio of businesses and how one can pursue similar interests. Jeff will no doubt be on again soon to share his latest ventures, travels, and stories as he continues growing his business. And with all that, I bring you Jeff Baker. Personally, I'm a traveler, so I've spent the last four or five years or so working remote, traveling the world. So I got to a point where I was working from an office and they said, hey, guess what? Office is shutting down. Go work from home. I was like, fuck, finally, I'm working where I want, when I want. It's like my dream. So I moved out deep into the East Bay in um, Northern California, got a nicer place as you do immediately when you get a raise and they tell you to work from home, you start spending all your money. And uh, it took like three days. I was like, this is miserable. I fucking hate this. I, I have to, I have to be around people. You know, I, th- I thought it'd be great working alone. It's not for me. I actually, my first experience traveling was um, I went down to San Diego where, when you were living down there. And I was like, okay, maybe if I travel while I'm working, that will get rid of my depression and I'll feel better. Turns out that wasn't it. So fast, fast forward a couple months, I went on a trip um, with a with a company called Wi-Fi Tribe, and they set you up with like a whole bunch of people that are also working remote, and you live like um, in like kind of like a co living situation, big apartments or a big house. In this instance, it was in Medellin, and it was a couple of big apartments, and you just kind of co live with people that you're you know that, that are also working online, doing the same exact thing. I was like, oh, this is it. So I got a couple things going for me. I can do travel and I can get my job done at the same time and interact with other people. They're doing similar stuff. So from that point forward, I was just like, okay, I am now kind of like a co-living traveler working online. So that that's how would I define myself? I guess personally, yeah, I'd say probably a traveler slash explorer while I'm working online. I'm one of those people that's not like, live to work necessarily enjoy work makes me feel good makes me feel productive feels like i did something but it's not one of the, i'm not a sigma grind set defeat the day bro type of guy you know that's not that's not how i live that's not how i want to that's not how i want to define myself not on your calling card gonna put the uh the hustle bros piss some of them off on this episode they're so full of shit no <laughs> that's Nice. What are you going to do? You get to 70 and tell your wife, well, I lived a good life and I beat the day 68 years in a row. Like you beat the day. What do you mean? Beat the day. Doesn't make any sense nice. to me. Nice. So 
a lot of us have been working from our kitchen tables and our living rooms and our spare bedrooms. You've been working from these, you know, Wi-Fi lodges globally. So is there something that you found like the, the restlessness of, does that charge you? I think like there's, you know, a lot of us are creatures of habit. We fall into a routine. Is It's hard to have a routine when you're in different hemispheres. So talk to me about, you know, what's that like as far as breaking a routine, but still having it structured so you can get your work done, deliver on deadlines, earn new business, do pitches. What does that look like for your operation? Yeah, that's a good point. So it's... um for me, too much routine makes me get a little bit antsy, get a little bit cabin fever, a little stuck, kind of a claustrophobic feeling, which is what drove me out of the home office in the first place and in, into doing this thing. So so my balance is you'll see two different types of people that work and travel. One is kind of like a digital nomad. They're bouncing around spot to spot to spot fairly rapidly, you know, spend a couple of days to a week in a place. And you don't really establish a routine. You know, you don't. You haven't found your coffee shops yet. You haven't found a comfortable place to work yet. That's not for me. I, I like the balance of the two worlds. So when I'm traveling, I'll typically spend at least four weeks in a place. Because I tend to find it, that first week, you have to figure out, like, where the hell do I find food? Where's my gym? Where do, Where's a coffee shop that has decent Wi-Fi? Like, how do, do I need to upgrade my Wi-Fi and my Airbnb? There's a lot of unsettling things that happen initially that you have to work around. So it's it is it is a challenge, but I do strive for finding that combination of yeah, getting to a new place, but also establishing a short-term routine that kind of reflects what I would do at home anyways. And you've been running your own business for about how long now? Hasn't even been a year and a half yet. Yeah, beyond the initial challenges as far as just, you know, realizing that working from your kitchen table wasn't quite going to cut it for your ideal life. What have been some of the challenges that you've run into standing up your own operation? I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> All of them. I, don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have a product, to have a, some sort of business model that you think is going to make money. That's half of it. Maybe that's it's a bigger portion than that. But then when you go to start a business, you realize there's a lot of business stuff that you don't know anything about. Like you don't in business school, I didn't learn how to start an LLC. I didn't learn how to navigate the taxes and the licenses that you need just to operate these things. Like nobody tells you this stuff until mm -hmm. you start it. And then in my case, I spent way too much time focusing on it. It's like, oh, I need to get an LLC. I need to pay franchise tax fees and all that stuff and focusing so much on getting everything lined up perfectly ahead of product that it just kind of distracted me. Most most people say you should get into this thing and you just start start selling shit. Just start making money and then worry about the details later. Like just start it, it the rails will come on, but there's just so many of them. There's just so much to to learn that you really have no idea what any of this stuff is. I talked to an accountant, realized quickly I had to hire an accountant because I didn't know, I'm, I'm not going to do these things. I will not spend my day in spreadsheets. There's no fucking way. Uh, so hired an accountant and I had one call with her. And after that, she's like, hey, do, do you want to get on a phone like once a week? And, you know, I can walk you through some of this stuff. I said, Absolutely not. No, I never want to talk to you again. Like, everything you said, 
makes zero sense to me. You're speaking a different language and I want to know nothing of this stuff. So I realized pretty quickly that you just have to spend money on the stuff that you don't understand. So you can put your head in the stuff that you actually do understand, like non-revenue generating stuff, outsource that stuff because it's just, you're not going to get it. And there's tons of it. For me, it was like just realizing how, how little I knew about how to structure a business, how to do all the ins and outs, uh, taxes, uh, licenses, all that stuff. And it was just, it's really, really overwhelming at first, but eventually like you get it. There's people operate businesses. It's not, not doable. Like it's totally doable. You just kind of have to jump in and, and learn how to swim kind of thing. Yeah. So this has been a theme in all of the conversations I've been having as far as there's so many things to figure out always and trying to launch something. It can be overwhelming with, you know, facing the steep cliff of everything you just mentioned and more. Do I LLC? Do I escort? Do I sole prop? Do my, where am I filing my taxes? Can I do my taxes? No, I can't. I need an accountant endlessly. So I feel like throwing yourself into it is just the crash course and figuring it out because it's all going to be learned wisdom. And hopefully through some of the conversations that we have on this podcast, it can shorten some of that learning curve for some folks that are out there. But the bottom line is all of that seems to prevent people from launching because it can be overwhelming and you want to get it right. And you don't want to be spending a ton of money or your own time doing it incorrectly only to find out, oh, great, that feels wonderful that I just wasted five grand and three months of my life and I have to start over. I love that you hit on the point too about just you know the, the Wi-Fi tribe. Conveniently enough, this episode is coming after I spoke with my friend, uh, Sylvie Spector. She is founder of a uh, marketing freelancer community as a private community on Slack. And she started that because the loneliness, if that's not too strong of a word of just heads down, doing your own work for your own operation and not in an office building where you can have some catharsis or get lunch with a friend or those things. I, I repeatedly take issue with the term solopreneur. I feel like it's just such a drastic misnomer because it makes sense for what it is, but it's also completely inaccurate because you just mentioned an accountant. You mentioned the people you travel with. Uh, you know, there's lawyers. There's all these different partnerships and like indirect partners that you need where no one is doing this solo, not even remotely. I forgot about the lawyer. That, yeah, that was a whole nother thing. <laughs> there's the lawyer, there's the, the graphic designer, the developer. I mean, it's you're right. It's not a solo solopreneur. It's a many, many, many person thing, but they're all contractors, you know? It's just a different structure to running a business, like a, a traditional style business where you've got people working for you. And I think a lot of people moving this way, seeing the benefits of outsourcing specialized types of activities and not hiring them in-house because a lot of times you hire a specialist in-house and they're just twiddling their thumbs for 75% of the time. Whereas you just get them in and you can narrowly focus them on an activity and then they're done with that activity and then they're gone. It's way more efficient way to run a business. Highly efficient, control your costs and your exposure. Yeah, You can have a short-term contract rather than a full-time employee. And I think working for yourself is so... The, the pressure is meritocratic. You do a good job or you don't get another project. So it really forces you to bring your A game instead of, you know, in, especially in big companies, employees have a lot of places to hide and inefficiency and waste tends to just, you know, be behind the curtain of lots of meetings, 
and lots of committees and lots of figuring things out. The bottom line is those things don't produce anything. All of us doing our own thing, we don't have the luxury of a 40 person team that we're lording over that we can have multiple meetings with to kind of just point fingers at. It's us and you deliver or you, you know, it's money out of your own pocket. I think that's what draws a lot of people to this, but also can, you know, be be scary and prevent people from wanting to go that path too. I want to get back to some of what you're working on because beyond just traveling the globe and getting every stamp imaginable in your passport, you have a lot going on just professionally. So talk to me about what areas you specialize in and some of the other uh, business wheels that you have spinning with your operation currently? I'm kind of all over the place. I, I'd say my background and my specialty is in marketing. That's what I came up doing. And specifically, I kind of had a, a knack for search engine op- optimization. So naturally, because that's such a specialized niche skill set that people need and will pay a good amount for, and it just kind of clicks with me, I gravitate towards that. And so I'd say maybe 60 to 70% of my time is dedicated towards those types of activities. So working with clients to help them improve their search exposure. So grabbing people for the products and services that they sell, the keywords that they're using to find those products and services they sell, and generating commercial outcomes for the business. So translating SEO activities into revenue for companies. I mean, that's kind of what I specialize in. And then I also do some business data analytics. It's just kind of a one-to-one relationship between what I was doing as a CMO previously with my with my last company. Taking all the marketing data, saying, here's what it looks like, here's where it's broken, here's the opportunities, and then marching orders. Go for it. Let's let's start improving these these figures so that you can improve your bottom line. So uh, those kind of things, I probably somewhere between 50 to 70% of my income comes from that. Um, and then I've got, just like every other entrepreneur, a handful of other projects going on. One of them is a Mezcal review website, obscure as that is. Just uh, we really into Mezcal and we saw that there was a huge surge in interest in the United States in in search opportunities, like people searching for mezcals. It's peaking. It's turning into the next bougie thing in New York and California. You know, you got avocado toast mezcal. It's they're gonna be in this they're gonna be in this same same bar at some point, you know. So we we wanted to get ahead of that. And I just spent the last month in Oaxaca, which where about ninety percent of it's made, absolutely drenched for an entire month. Just oozing mezcal out of my body field work obviously right <laughs> so r&d research and development yeah r&d totally everything totally expensive uh, so that's that's one project and another project that i'm particularly passionate about i've got a couple business partners with is um, we help people find remote jobs so we will we've got a team of people that scours the web looking for legitimate remote jobs not ones that say they're remote, but they're actually hybrid, not ones that say they're remote and in three weeks they're going to be returned to office, um, not ones that are actually a headhunter and not you're not actually communicating with the company. It's We send out just legitimate remote jobs to people on our subscription list. So it kind of reduces that paradox of choice because I don't know anybody listening that's looked for a job on remote job boards recently. It's a fucking shit show. It is an absolute mess. It's a looking for a job, not applying and interviewing for a job, looking for a legit job and finding a legit job, especially a remote one, is a job unto itself. It is a 
absolute chaos out there. You can't trust what you see. So what we do is just kind of eliminate all of the, just trim all the fat and just find the needles in the haystack that are out there and send those to people. So you just get two companies per day and we email those out to people. So you don't have to go through that whole process. Just go through these two companies per day, the jobs that they're currently, new jobs that they're currently hiring for. If I like it, I apply. If I don't like it, wait till tomorrow, you get two two new jobs. So it's just, it's kind of a super passion project that I'm working on right now. And it's, I love it because I thrive best when I'm trying to right a wrong and I feel like they're a clear bad guy in this situation. I feel like there's a lot of companies that are implementing these return to office mandates. I see a lot of companies trying to fool people into getting remote jobs that aren't really remote jobs or they're just going to sweep it out from under them as soon as they get in. And it gives me a mission. It gives me a purpose. So I'm having a lot of fun with that one. Fighting the good fight. Yeah. <laughs> I think what's, what's interesting is most of us, you know, those of us who over COVID were knowledge workers and probably were told, hey, please, you know, work from your living rooms until further notice. And further notice has remained indefinitely. So for a lot of us who, you know, were only used to sitting in a cubicle and commuting to that cubicle morning and night, we sort of got a taste for doing our own thing. Now it was under a manager and at a corporation or a big company or whatever, but it was sort of more on our own terms. It was a bit of a taste of what some of that non-office freedom might be like. And I feel like that's also what's been attracting a lot of people to this space. Everything you just mentioned and then some, but it's sort of been in that direction. And now that we've seen record corporate profits with a remote staff and all these it's just the data is sort of undeniable at this point. And yet there is this, I don't want to say this mass call back to the office, but it's, I've certainly seen very loud headlines. It feels a bit, I'll just say shady, if not outright dishonest to say, we need our employees back in the office so that you can be more productive. Everybody's proven they've been plenty productive on their own outside of the watchful eye of managers marching around the office, trying to intimidate people out of fear rather than out of, you know, managing performance. So what would it take you to return to an office? There's no amount. I mean, we've, we've seen that this works and that line that you just mentioned about productivity. We're also hearing these uh, very vague things about creativity, sparks creativity, fostering community, these euphemisms that are floating around. Um, I, I do want to call attention to the productivity one. There's a couple studies that came out recently that everybody's pointing to and saying, ha, got one. These There's two studies that they're pointing to. One study was done in India and it was a data entry company and they were measuring people's productivity in how well they entered data into cells and spreadsheets. Hardly reflective of an actual office environment that's performance-based. Okay, second one was a call center in Asia and how productive they were at managing uh, customer relations at a call center from home versus in the office. So they're citing these two very, very bad studies that are not reflective of a real, real world office environment that is based in performance and saying, oh, well, you're going to be more productive in the office. It's horseshit. They're just looking for something. They needed some excuse to get people back into the office and they found one. It's a really, really bad one. It's a transparent one, but it's a really, really bad one. And then the creativity one, 
That's just going off gut feel. These are these execs looking at their mood ring saying, oh, I had a 45-minute meeting with some people and some great ideas came out of it. Therefore, I'm going to implement a return to office policy because I feel like people are more creative and more collaborative in the office. Meanwhile, they're not going to be beholden to that new mandate. Like nobody's going to be checking Jeff Bezos' time card as he punches in and punches out. He just wants his minions back in the office because present is productive in these people's mindset, right? And we all know that's absolutely bullshit. President is not productive. Matter of fact, sometimes it's absolutely counterproductive. Problem that we're seeing is that they just needed a reason and they found some very, very bad reasons to construct a lie, basically. We're watching revisionist history happen before our eyes, whereas a couple of years ago they said, hey, we're operating just as well as we did before. Isn't that great? And now they're saying, hey, we're not operating as well as we did before. Isn't that bad? You should come back in. Because they're looking at their real estate, sit there empty, getting graffitied, and they can't stomach watching that expense on the balance sheet every single month. And they have to justify it to their investors and to the execs having all of that commercial real estate, in my mind. And then you've got the old school mentality people that just want butts and seats, really. Because it feels better. It looks better to them. It, it is weird, and I try to understand how to receive it, because it seems like there are not very many good reasons for this push, and yet this push seems to be happening. Some people have been forced to do it, or there's a hybrid play in place. I feel like, in some way, it is to manage the lowest common denominator, where mediocre employees need to be managed out of fear and power and control and hierarchy by mediocre managers. The high performers, the rising stars, what they need is autonomy and layers of bureaucracy to get out of their way so they can perform. The problem is the layers of, you know, quote unquote, leadership above them, a lot of them still don't know how to manage for performance. They manage for obedience. It's like being back in mm. school where you sit in your row, you don't raise your hand, you don't ask questions, you just do what the teacher tells you to do. That's not the best way to get the best work out of the best people. It's just the best way to manage mediocrity, which is strange. And I feel like the performance that has been out there in a lot of places speaks for itself. In a lot of ways, it feels like this just goes back to the egos of some folks who may be realizing maybe they still don't have it figured out as far as how to manage the high performers who have who are all leaving. And a lot of them are pursuing their own thing because it's now more available than it has been. And it's a bit of like a, a freak out as far as if we don't get mm. people back into the office, then we collectively, uh, you know, as these higher levels of management are out of a job for us because we're not hands on keyboards. We're not executing uh, the tactics and the channels and the spaces have moved so quickly over the past four months, forget four years, for how long some mm. of these folks have held these positions as corporate lifers. So it seems like a very strange dynamic. And I think feel like that's another reason where people who know that they can do something on their own, if presented with the ultimatum of return back to the office or lose your job, are a lot more confident to just say, goodbye, fine, good yeah. luck replacing me because I have been a performer and I know what my contribution has been. It doesn't have to be for you. The world's a big place. It can be for a lot of other places too. These companies that don't adapt, they're going to face consequences. They're, they're going to find that they've got a brain drain. The talent is going to leave. It's already out of the box now. People have had a taste of this. It's not going back. It's, it reminds me of... 
when Uber just emerged and the taxi unions were like, oh shit, let's bury this as quickly as we can. No, this is, people have seen that there's a better solution out there and it's an effective solution. It's proven to be an effective solution. And they're scared. They're hanging on to the last threads of control when we can all see this inevitable dump truck hurtling down the road. We know what the future looks like. We know that it's going to be partially or wholly remote for skill workers, uh, for online workers, right? But they are refusing to accept this. And eventually, there's going to be a turning point where there's going to be a few companies that are like, oh, shit, we do not want to be the last ones to adapt. We know how that looks. We've seen it in the political sphere with companies, and nobody wants to be the last one in the court of public opinion, right? So we, I think eventually we will see a tipping point, but right now we're hearing and seeing, I think the beginning of a death rattle and a little bit of fear. I think this push to get people back in these ultimatums is driven by that fear that you're talking about. I think people are legitimately scared of losing their value. And I think there's a, there still is this traditional element where people feel like this is the way things were this is the way that they're supposed to be. There's an inertia behind it. But people forget that this only existed for 40, 50 years. This is a drop in the bucket. Humans did not live like this before. There is no traditional office environment. This was just a flash in the pan in the grand scheme of things, right? Things are going to change. Things change drastically from working with our hands to working in an office to working on a computer and it's evolving even quicker. So people's idea of of what this this uh, traditional historical vision of what an office environment looks like that was only this long really in the grand scheme of things. So let go. Like you're going to have to adapt or else you're just going to get left behind. And it's it, it, you just kind of look like an idiot when you're when you're not paying attention to what people want and what the numbers are sh- are showing. You're just burying your head in the sand, I think. I feel like remote knowledge working was not just a evolution in work. It was sort of an evolution in life and culture where the people, I like how you put it, like this isn't going back. Like you're just trying to prevent the change from happening. First of all, kind of weird to dig your heels in on it when there's all this good evidence that it's working fantastically. But all of these folks who used to have a half hour or a two hour commute one way to the office, you got to pay for a babysitter or daycare. You got to pay for dry cleaning. You got to pay for lunches. You got to have commute costs and gas and everything. Now that all of those commuting costs are back into the pocket of those people, but like forget about the money. The money is is replenishable. The time isn't. Mm. So now that these people get to do whatever they want with that time back in their day, sleep later exercise, spend it with family, go for a walk, whatever, who cares? That is, I think, now a big awakening where people are realizing there's a lot more balance that I didn't get to experience because I was so heads down trying to be just a good productive worker. And now that I have this routine that's part of my life, not just part of like my work or my, you know, my work mm-hmm. persona, it's a big, big trade that a lot of people are not willing to do. And you can't blame them. I think we'll look back on this this period of life as barbaric. Maybe not barbaric, 
right? That might be a little too extreme of a word, but the idea of commuting, in, in my case, I was commuting into San Francisco for a while. That was an hour and a half, one way, two and a half coming home, four hours a day under hospital lighting, nine to five, five days a week. No time for exercise, no time for making lunches or anything like that. That feels very antiquated. That doesn't feel right. The gut check on that, like in in the past, it made sense. That's just what you did. But if you look at it now with a little bit of hindsight, a little bit of perspective, that makes no sense. That's no way to live a life. I think it will be looked back on that like kind of like we look back on the industrial age. It's like, whoa, we actually did that to people? Shove them under... Uh, fluorescent hospital lighting with a bunch bunch of people they don't like and forcing them to interact and pretend that they like each other and smile when the birthday cake goes around and have a bunch of worthless middle managers just micromanaging everything you did. Wow, how inefficient. What a bad use of everybody's life. Like, how was that? How is that an end goal for anybody? So I, I I do think that there will be a point of reflection when we look back on this and we go, oh my God, this is this is terrible. There's a better way and we're all going to embrace that. Definitely. I want to get back to some of the projects that you have going on because you mentioned a lot of things and you know, you're know you in some of these different locations for, mm. I think you said a minimum of four weeks, but four weeks can also zip right by. So how do you manage your time and stay productive with travel, with all the work commitments and business partners you have going on. Yeah, so when I'm traveling, think of it as just kind of a normal work day. I have a a rough schedule. It may change a little bit depending on the time zones I go to, but generally it's gonna follow the same routine. Wake up, exercise, and then it's a work day. Just, Just as if I were in the home office, it's going to be the same exact thing. And the amount of hours that I work is going to depend on my workload. It's going to depend on how efficient I am that week. Could be I work a 12-hour day. Could be I'm not, I'm having a shit day and I'm going to work three hours today because I could sit here for an additional six and get absolutely nothing done. Or I could go for a run and I could, you know, take the afternoon off and all of a sudden I've got inspiration. I come back with, um, you know, a fire under my ass and I'm, I'm ready to rip rock and roll. The general work day is going to follow a very similar pattern of, of, you know, work out, do a normal work day and then explore at night. That's the whole point of traveling. Like I'm, I'm going to use my off time to get out there and see the world, experience cultures, eat different food, try different alcoholic drinks, obviously. Like I'm going to get out there and try different stuff. Uh, so the, the balance really is set a routine no matter where you're at. So if you're if you're going to Eastern Europe, you're going to work a little later because your clients are up later. So, all right, your new routine is this. All right, I'm waking up by seven o'clock and I'm starting work by nine o'clock and just follow that every single day. Right. And I think where people go wrong with this type of lifestyle is you see people working from bed. Some people are just not good at this. Some people, you know, I was making kind of generalized statements that working remote is better. Some people don't adapt to it. All right. So I probably should have thrown a caveat in there. Some people do work from bed and some people are not quite as effective or efficient. So if you are doing this, like my recommendation is set a routine, treat it like a normal work day and then improvise accordingly. Right. Yeah. I have uh, a caveat in my intro episode that being 
pro-solopreneur does not necessarily make one anti-employee. And there's plenty of good things about being an employee, having a salary, even just knowing that about oneself. So like you've been doing this for a while, you've cultivated enough self-awareness. You've also struggled enough to realize, you know, well, I was doing this and this was not working for me. And you evolved and you pivoted. There's plenty of people out there who might, you know, that know deep within themselves that the less structured consulting, freelancing, solopreneur lifestyle is just totally not for them. Live your life. This is not a judgment on anybody. This is just strong opinions from those that hold them. And like, it's perfectly fine to disagree with other people who just have different tastes on any of this. So would you say that you basically structure your days based on your deadlines, your client expectations? You mentioned uh, you know, different time zones. So logistically, how, how challenging can that get for you? Well, at this point, I it's mostly deadline based. And these are the expectations I set with my clients. You're going to get X deliverables on Y day. And and generally, it's the beginning of the month, right? Because I'm, I'm working in a lot of data. So I'm going to be aggregating all that data, warehousing it, processing it at the beginning of the month. And ideally, I've delivered everything to all my clients by mid-month or so. And if I've hit that, it's going to loosen up a little bit for the rest of the month. And I'll be able to work on the other projects that I want to work on. Or maybe I'm, you know, I've got a little bit more latitude to have these slow days where I'm just like, okay, I just need to get out there. I need to exercise today. I'm going stir crazy. And I'm going to take a two hour day and that's just the way it's going to be. So I, I generally structuring around, around these deadlines and they're, they're just expectations I set with my clients. It's like, this is what you're going to get. This is part of my service. This is, these are the days you're going to get stuff. And then it's on me. And if I don't deliver on that, I lose clients. Right. So it's, um, it's, it's really, really performance based that I'm holding myself to. And, um, as long as I'm hitting what I expect to hit for my clients, I'm good. It's just basically I'm doing my chores first and then everything else comes afterwards. Great. So this might be a technical question, but it sounds like you bill based on value delivered and not on hours invested. Hundred percent. Correct. Yeah, hundred percent. Were you ever an hourly based consultant? Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> I did it. I did it initially. That was a mistake. hundred percent a mistake because honestly, you're not. You shouldn't be paying your consultant for the hours they put in. You should be paying them based on what they deliver for you, the quality that they deliver to your organization. And there's a few reasons for that because the work should ebb and flow. There should be times where there's a, a lot of work, kind of like a salaried employee. There's times where you need to be all hands on deck and you're just going to be busting your ass especially when you're kicking off a new client. You're going to be doing a ton of hours. Uh, if somebody's launching a new website, you're going to be doing a ton of hours. And then there's other times where it's cruise control. There's there's not a whole lot to do. And they don't want to let you go at that time because those times where it ramps back up, you need consistency with your deliverables. You need consistency with your consultants that you're working with because when organizations start running into problems, it's generally when you've got a multitude of people that are saying different things and there's disconnects between different departments and you've got a new consultant saying this and you got to scrap everything do it all over again you've got a new tech doing this and they've got to clean up all these lines of codes and and fix everything that the previous tech did that is 
so inefficient. Ideally, an organization should find a consultant that's super narrow and specialized in what they do and they're consistent with them. So you've got everybody in sync and everybody working together. And by keeping a consultant on retainer, you're still paying them much less than you would a full-time employee. So you've got the consistency, you've got the uh, consistent deliverables being given to the organization on a regular basis, and you've got them available at any given time, right? So it works better for the consultant, it works better for the organization just to keep these people around. Unless you truly do have a one-off type of thing. You know, I just need this, I need a, a, a graphic created. Kind of doesn't make sense. But if there's an ongoing need for the organization from a, a business standpoint, yeah, it kind of makes sense to only do retainer types of models. Do you ever run into clients asking you about time build or hours worked questions? Uh, Not on retainer, no. So you mentioned setting expectations with clients. What makes a good client? A good client is something that I generally vet before even working with them. There's there's a lot of SEO opportunities out there, but there's not they're not all good SEO opportunities for working with clients. They need to have a couple things in order. First, they need to be committed to what it is they're looking for. So for in my instance, SEO, they need to be committed to SEO and that includes creating content. It means having access to content creators. It means having access to your development team. Um, all of these things I lay out at the beginning. Um, are you committed to writing content? Are you committed to making changes to the website? Yes or no. And if they're not truly motivated, I can't work with them because I can't deliver results. You know, I, I can't do anything with one hand time tied behind my back. It's a waste of my time they're going to eventually cancel or I'm going to fire them as a, a client and things aren't, are just not going to work out. So generally, I like to have these conversations right at the beginning and just lay it out. Like, this is what I'm going to need. These are the tools that you're going to need to buy. Are you in on that? And if the answer is no, that's fine. Then, you know, you could go work with somebody else or I will tell them, use caution because somebody else might say that they can deliver for you, but without these commitments that you need to make, you're only going to get so far. Yeah. I think straight shooting and very direct over communication kind of just sets the expectation mutually that this type of work should be a partnership. Mm. And if you're expecting me to kind of just still be an employee, only not really, it doesn't really work that way. Now it might work for some people some of the time, but I feel like you know, one of the the draws of doing one's own operation mm. is to get a, get underneath, uh, get get out from underneath the thumb of micromanagers and people who are bean counters, and saying, "Well, how much time did Project X take you? I don't know. Why do you care? Yeah. Would you can I can I charge you more if it if it took me longer? Mm -hmm. If no, then you're either you know incentivizing sloth or you're not." So, yeah. you know, let's have conversations based on what the business can afford, because I think even with some things, there could be flexibility with rates or how you approach things. If it's like, look, we really want to work together, budgets are a bit tight right now. If we get some of, you know, what this output would be rather than all of it, if that still works for the quality of the output, maybe, but it doesn't feel right to be submitting a timesheet to a client when that's really not how no. the work should be evaluated. No, and I, I spent 12 years, 13 years learning SEO to learn how to do 
this four hour project in two hours. So that, that doesn't that really doesn't make sense to penalize the consultant that's learned all of the all the pitfalls in advance and and give them half as much money. Right. They've learned how to be more efficient with their time, which which, again, is no concern of the client, really. Like you're you need this result. I'm going to deliver this result for you and that the price is fixed. That's this is the result you're going to get. And if I don't deliver on that result, that's on me. Right. And then then we have to part ways. Right. So it's it's really the same thing the way I feel about office work environments. It's like I don't believe in punching it time sheet it's it's quality based it's value based type of work and if you're not delivering value or you're not delivering what you're expected to then you need to have conversations about that but you should never be having a conversation based on attendance that doesn't make any sense you know oh you got a perfect attendance this week okay what'd you do sat on instagram for 40 hours is that efficient or effective no of course not so that doesn't that doesn't make any sense from a consultant standpoint. Doesn't make sense from a business standpoint. And I I think you made a, you made a good point earlier. It's I think a lot of people are having a hard time wrapping their heads around delivering value, understanding how to measure value and what people are delivering over their attendance, their timesheet. It's just like this old thing that's just getting stuck in people's head. Yeah, I always point out the conflation of activity with productivity. Mm. So activity is, I think, what a lot of companies face today, which is people doing stuff, stuff here, random stuff there, sitting in lots of meetings. Hey, look at my calendar. Look how busy I am. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm in back-to-back. I was in so many back-to-backs today that I didn't even take a lunch break. Are you actually questioning my contribution and how hard I'm working? Yeah. Well, that's, that's activity. Anybody can do that. Productivity is over the, the past two hours, here's the work that I did. And now mm. it has to go to somebody who can actually is fluent in that work and actually understands it instead of just, okay, but were you in the chair for eight hours? Yeah. What, what are we incentivizing? Right. Yeah. So I think a lot of times companies are still just flailing with activity because it's a place to hide inefficiency. Mm. You can just schedule another meeting, another week of meetings, the quarter's is over. What did we actually do here instead of rolling up our sleeves, getting right to work and being productive? I used to tell my employees, I, I don't care when you work. You, you have to make your meetings, obviously. Like you can't just be a no-show for meetings. But if your prime time is 4 to 7 p.m. and you hate waking up early, I don't give a shit. Make it 4 to 7 p.m. That's that's your sweet spot. Go for it. Like this is a, yeah, this, this is uh, delivering on, again, delivering on value it's performance based and i i found that since going solo i've had moments of deep in uninterrupted work because i don't have many meetings anymore i'll just get on a four-hour stretch and reflect back and go you know that was that used to be three days for me that was three eight hours Mm -hmm. days because breaking apart with a meeting with emails with async chat all of these things just disrupting this flow with this four-hour block of just getting into a perfect flow mindset, it's three days of work. And I'll realize, you know, looking at my sheet, I would look at it through the old lens of, oh my God, I've, I'm so buried. I've got three days, I'm three days buried. But if I could just do one morning and then look at that sheet and go, oh my God, I'm caught up. This is unbelievable. This It would never have worked this way in the past. So now I'm, I'm discovering this new undisturbed workflow 
that makes me a lot more inefficient. And it almost has nothing to do with time. And there's, there's going to be some time element, obviously. But the actual productivity has very little to do with the actual time and more to do with the focus. And, you know, just also the years of expertise of having done what I've done and knowing how to get things done quickly has made me like a, a way more efficient worker. And it's and nobody sees things this way. Oh, you only worked four hours today? Well, no, not really. <laughs> you know, sure, I sat at the desk for four hours, but there was what you didn't see was it took me a one hour run to clear my head to get to that space. It took me sleeping in until seven o'clock that morning to get to that space. It There was a lot behind that four hours that wasn't just sitting down at my desk and drinking a triple shot of espresso. You know, it, it, it just doesn't, productivity doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not a perfect mold for everybody. Yeah, I feel like that's a big aha moment for folks who may be leaving corporate life or agency life or in-house life where they get wrapped up in a lot of like internal meetings for mm. bureaucratic reasons, political reasons, inefficient reasons. And then they put on their headphones, they have a cup of coffee, they have some undisturbed peace and quiet. And like you mentioned, over three, four, five hours, they can knock out what might have taken them a month previously. And you realize, why am I punching the clock? You know, what 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 was all that time wasted? I was uh, recently managing a team of creatives too at one of my last positions. And I think a lot of people don't quote unquote get creatives, but it's the seen and the unseen. If someone is actually like, they're, they're digesting a creative brief and they're thinking in images and they're thinking in not just linearly. You can't do that in a cube. You might need to take a walk. You might need to take a shower. You might need to take a nap. You might need to go to lunch, whatever. Do what you need to do to deliver the best thing that you can at the end of this. Now, like, don't do it to absurdity, right? Like, don't say, okay, I'm just going to disappear from a month for a month. Nobody talked to me. Like, there's obvious trade-offs. But if it means that you need to walk away from your computer screen for 45 minutes to clear your head and then come back and have that much better, then the ROI on that, you know, 45 minutes walking away from your your screens is huge if that's what you need to yeah. deliver on the work. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And there's there's moments where I have that too. It's like, hey, I just need to I just need to get the hell out of here. I need to go lay down 45 minutes. You can't lay down in an office. Boss going to walk by and be like, you're lazy. And it's just a, it's a total misread. I think we've, it's a crime how poorly we misunderstand what productivity looks like, what productivity hours should look like, all, all of that stuff. I feel like it's a whole nother world that has not been explored. But I think we're just starting to dip our toes in the water and get an understanding of that since the pandemic, when everybody started going remote, we're starting to see, okay, there are different hours and uh, people do function in different ways. And all of a sudden you might see some insane creative brief come across at 9 p.m. because, you know, some creative just went bonsai, maybe had a three cups of coffee at six o'clock in the afternoon, maybe a cocktail. And it's like, I got this now, right? And it's not, you give them the freedom and the trust. You know, I think what's missing in a lot of these conversations is I don't trust my employees or I'm paid to not trust my employees, right? There's this understanding that you need to treat them like children. 
and that's doing a good job. That's being a good boss. So toxic is the, the opposite is, is truly the case of what's going on. The more you trust your employees, the more you empower them, the more confident they feel, the more productive they are, the better they feel about the job, the longer they stay there. Yeah, it's, it's just a positive reinforcement cycle that's, that people just don't quite understand. Yeah, it almost feels regressive. Like it, mm. it brings us all back to elementary school where all the wrong incentives, like attendance, so what? You showed up every day. Memorization, so what? Can you do anything while critically thinking on your own? Business should be anti those things, but it feels like too many companies today are trying to manage their business as if it was an elementary school classroom. Yeah. So- I think we agree that we're sort of at the beginning of this space continuing to really keep off, take, take off rather. So where do you see this space going? I, I think we're going to have a pullback like we're seeing right now. We will see these return to office mandates. We're going to see these dinosaurs just grasping to the last little threads of control. But I do see an inevitability here of remote work, of people getting paid for their productivity rather than their timesheet. Um, I do see this coming, but I also see a huge fight. There's a huge fight. And anytime there are uh, financial incentives, monetary incentives for the one of these reasons, you're going to see a big fight. And a good example of this is there's a report that came out recently. There is something like by 2030 remote work stands to eliminate $30 billion of commercial real estate value by 2030, right? So if we follow the money, there's going to there's gonna be a fight. People don't want to give up that money. Even if it's their death rattle and you see it coming a mile away, they're going to fight. So we're going to, mm-hmm. there's going to be this weird scrapping area in between now and what I see as an inevitable, which is yeah, a lot of a lot more people are going to go remote. It's going to be at minimum hybrid for jobs that can be done online, and uh, we're already seeing on the far end of things. We're already seeing a lot more people that are full traveling digital nomads it's increasing every single year. I'm I'm running into it wherever I go, like almost too much in some of these hotspots. You're seeing people working and traveling all over the place. Yes, I I think it is going to move in a positive direction. I think it's going to benefit both employees and organizations that actually embrace it, that do see the value in this kind of thing. And they let go of their fear and they let go of their control and say, hey, maybe there is maybe there is something to this. Maybe we will make more money. That's what it comes down to, really. That's how our, uh, organizations operate. They have to make money. And maybe they will see that there is a way to make money doing this. And ultimately, I think we'll just follow the money. Wherever the money is, is where the trend's going to go. Yeah. So what advice would you give someone looking to start their journey as a solopreneur, given all that? It's a good question. I would say kind of do the opposite of what I did. And I spent I spent so much time trying to figure out logistics of everything. I'm so neat and tidy with everything. I had, I had to make sure taxes were done right, lawyer stuff was done right. Just figure out how to make money and start making money right out of the right out of the gate and then start to evolve it right um somebody told me one time a a b plus product is launched now is way better than an a plus product launched never right so just get something out there in the wild let it just let it get some air to it you're going to change it a million times anyways even if you even that perfect product you're going to change it to something that's 
evolve to something you don't even recognize in the future. That's what happened with my product. Like I've, I've got something that I don't even recognize at this point. So really you just have to figure out something to sell, usually you, your expertise, your service, and then fine tune it as you go and then start working out the logistics. And if I could make a strong recommendation, it would be the stuff that you don't know, the stuff that's way outside your zone of expertise, outsource it because that $800 you're going to spend on taxes that would technically cost you $0 if you learn to do it on your own is going to cost you $8,000 in the time that you could have spent on working on client stuff, right? So it looks daunting. It looks like way more than you can handle. And it is. So outsource it. You can't do all that stuff. Bite the bullet, spend the money on that, and then invest your time wisely in revenue generating activities. And that's it. So what's evolving for you? What do you have coming up next in, uh, in the future for yourself? Uh, I've been investing a lot of time in that remote jobs thing that I was telling you about. I see this as a huge opportunity. And even more so now that people are getting called back into the office, people have had a taste of working remote and they want more of it. And it's really, really hard out there. It's jobs are hard to, good jobs are really hard to come by. It's really hard to find legit listings that you can trust in legit companies. So I, I see this as a huge opportunity and it's more than that. Like there's a lot of things I can work on. This is a cause that I feel like I can get behind. So I, I'm going to be spending a lot of my time on this and trying to, like you said, fight the good fight and, and try to stand up to these very clear lies that people are telling employees to get them back in the office for, for bad reasons. All of the reasons that we just talked about, those all mm. exist. Um, and I, I think somebody needs to do something about this. Somebody needs to say something and say, hey, listen, you're full of shit. People that are lying need to be called out. They need to be told that they're full of shit. You can't allow bad behavior like that because you're denying somebody the truth and you're de denying them a better life, really, which I think is insufferable. I, I can't stand that. If you're denying somebody something that they want, a better life, and and giving them reasons that aren't real. It's like 1984, this, that doesn't make any sense. You can't tell somebody uh, something that's not true when you can see the truth right behind them. Something that transparent. I'm not being very eloquent about this, but yeah, that's that's something that I'm passionate about. I'm going to be spending quite a bit of time on. Nice. That's great. So we will not be finding you in a commercial high rise, but uh, <laughs> during the time of the filming, it's the no. rare occasion that you're back on, on U.S. soil. So uh, do you have any plans to travel to any interesting locations next yeah it's uh i'm gonna recharge a little bit because i've been here i've been traveling for the past four months and then before that another four month stretch so i'm i'm pretty beat missed my bed missed the dog time so i'm gonna get that all in and then uh come the new year i think i'll probably go down spend some time in south america i'm gonna go through Colombia for the, i think the sixth or seventh time there it just keeps driving me back and then uh and then end up in i think buenos aires for the first time i might spend a month or two down there amazing well in between all the travels and all the ventures and everything you have going on appreciate you making the time to come on the podcast and chat we were overdue for a catch-up anyways <laughs> so always great to uh connect with you my friends hey, thanks and, for uh, having me man here's some of these strong opinions and you 
keep fighting for the little guys out there. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate you letting me uh, go off and rant for about an hour or so. Hopefully somebody got something out of that. I love it. I'm sure they would. Cool. Thanks again. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I love hearing from any of you. So if there's comments, feedback, requests, you name it, please shoot me a DM. If you found any of this interesting or useful, please let me know. If you're ever interested in working with any guests who come on the show and and would like an introduction, please don't hesitate to reach out. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, I'm always looking to have more conversations with interesting people willing to share their stories. Don't be shy to shoot me a note and we can have a chemistry session to see if our dialogue would be a good fit to share with others. Stay tuned for more episodes and updates and take care. Mm